Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Samarine McGregor online. Hello, Samarine. How are you? Hello. Great to be here. Great to have you here. Really looking forward to this conversation. So why don't you share a little bit about you and then we'll dive into the conversation. Okay. Uh, so I, I often find myself describing my background. Uh, I think it's been instrumental to working out who I am. I, I was born in Venezuela and uh, I, I moved to the UK when I was 14. My father's Indian, my mother's Venezuelan, educated in the international American system in my early years. And then I studied in the States, actually. I studied in upstate New York, Colgate University, and uh, then did my master's in the UK after having done a couple of years of work in financial services. And uh, well, the rest is really history. I think um, probably the, the, the more important part around uh the work i do is i i'm an executive coach it's 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 rooted in having worked both within and outside corporate environments uh as a consultant um as a, 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 a in a number of roles really and the the core of my work is an integration of i would describe three different aspects one is strategic business performance so i love understanding how organizations work and how businesses work and profound behavioral change. I, 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 I get I get a kick out of working with individuals and groups and helping them to understand themselves and what enables them to make a meaningful contribution. And then there's a third piece, which I must admit, I've been honing far more recently. Uh, and this has been a result of my own personal journey, uh, which I'm sure we'll, we'll learn a little bit about during this conversation, but it's embodied consciousness. So understanding what our bodies, not just our minds, tell us about how we're navigating life, how we're showing up in our, in our work or in any, any context, like the communities that we interact with. Now, it's a great career and obviously lots of exposure to uh, worldly things, which really helps out because, well, we're we're all on the same planet and getting the different vantage points and skill sets and education uh, from a variety of different sources helps you be able to, you know, adapt your own, you know, leadership style and you know mimic it accordingly and also you know from the executive coaching standpoint because of that worldly experience you can go into you know basically any boardroom and be able to navigate it it might be an industry that you're not completely familiar with but we both know that you have the framework um you can figure it out pretty quickly so uh and i, I love how you mentioned you know the the conscious side of things. Uh, not that we're operating unconsciously, but it, it seems like so many people right now are operating in this, I don't call it a daze per se, or maybe even a funk, but it just this, this state where things are just not clear to them, or they're not seeing clearly doesn't mean they're not clear depending on their situation. But what I'm finding in conversations is just people just seem to be 
just a bit off. And I think a lot of it has to do with what's transpired over the last few years from the pandemic. And then at the time of this recording, a lot of uh, strife going on uh, in the Middle East and Eastern Europe and maybe other places too that we're not being told about but ultimately uh it's been a tough go for a lot of people and organizations and their people from top all the way to the front lines are are kind of going through some things and i I, that obviously comes through and in the leadership that we provide and the work that we do oh goodness wow um yes you've you've really hit a nerve there for me uh and i won't repeat a lot of what you've said because i think you know you've described the backdrop which is something that i'm finding is really important in in bringing to the fore when i work with people uh we are very task focused we in 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 the work in different you know contexts but partic- well at home and at work and in within organizations you know we want to do our best to typically i think I think most of us would would like to to do our best and in my experience of clients they are trying to do very hard um they're they're trying to do their best very much and that task focus is an easy is an easy distraction from what's going on around us i know that it's been very palpable recently i don't know about you know where you live but here in the uk you know we're very close to the middle east and and the same thing happened during the you know the time of the ukrainian war and it's interesting but you know the narrative starts to get uh infused with 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 emotions like 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 shame and and guilt that that we're not close to that but we're spectating but i think more recently i'm noticing quite quite strong emotions uh activism and 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 actually it's it's difficult when when there's splits so that then manifests itself in our day-to-day lives it's inevitable and uh, you know being venezuelan i think there is a relevance here over the last 20 years we've as a country suffered under uh, a very difficult regime and uh, i won't go into the details because it's far too complex but i i live i live day to day month to month watching my mother suffer because of her family that's still subjected to so much hardship in venezuela when most of our younger generations have have had to flee have had to leave venezuela so i really connect with those who are directly or indirectly affected through family or through connections with some of these countries um and then the narrative that gets infused in 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 a faraway land where, where where we're still living some of this but clearly feeling shameful that we're not affected by it directly certainly not the homicides at the moment that we're seeing yeah it's it's definitely heavy emotions and you know i have people and connections that are from all the related parties you know so i i do my best to just kind of stay like switzerland at best and just like okay we're gonna we're gonna remain neutral on this but uh i i am not a fan of loss of life i i don't like that at all never have hopefully never will uh but it's it it really puts some um strain on you know obviously like in your situation you know watching your your mom and you know the relatives that are still you know there and in your home country and it you know it's one of those things where when you have that going on in your life 
and then you go into work, you know, and we say, okay, time to put on our work clothes and, and start working. Uh, you you can't segment that. You, you can't segment. You just, you like the phrase work-life balance. Uh, you can't balance those two things. It's more harmonious. It's like work and life, you are one being. So if there's things going on in your personal life, you know, obviously that can have a big impact on the quality of work that you have and also just how clear things are at work. And, and it goes both ways. If you're having a really difficult time at work, you know, that can impact your home life as well. So there's all these dynamics that are going on and we're just trying to make sure that the organization stays afloat and we're leading the organization to the best of our ability and and, and really you know, continue to do the work that we need to do to transform our organizations into the next stage, whatever that looks like, because every organization obviously has had to you know face some really gigantic pitfalls and, and changes over the last few years. And I think that will continue, you know, I'll continue forever, quite frankly, but I, I think there's a lot to be learned about the resilience and learning, you know, how to just be, you know, as steady as she goes, as best as you can, you know, in these ever-changing times. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's a dichotomy there that you describe around how do we keep afloat? How do we continue to to, to, I guess, establish conditions of stability uh, uh, as organizations, as leaders, as people within those environments. And equally, how do we confront the realities that are, might be a bit uglier and messy? And and I, and I, and I, I certainly do really, really connect with uh, that existential reality that, that we've been living in. And I think one of the things I've been really curious about understanding, certainly from my own life experience of having ex experienced traumas, um, both as, you know, as a child, I think we all have um, versions of adversities that we may have experienced, whether small or big or, you know, explicit or maybe unconscious ones that we don't even remember, um, and how those manifest in how we behave is as human beings in our workplace or within our relationships. And this whole backdrop that you and I are describing right now adds another layer, but but at a very basic level, we're still carrying that baggage and we're carrying the burden of some of those adversities. Yeah, and that comes into the work, you know, and when we, you know, switch careers and we or switch organizations and we uh, Yes, we're brand new into the company, but we bring our experiences and, and the training that we've received in the past. But sometimes we bring in our behaviors or thoughts or beliefs or expectations into an organization. And and sometimes that's not fair to that organization because you, you haven't worked there yet, but many of us already level set, okay, this is how this organization is going to behave before we even give them a chance. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, gosh, there's so many thoughts coming up for me. I had a, a meeting with a, co a coaching session, actually, with a with a client just today, and it's so fresh in my mind. So I think I'll share it. It's, um, it, it was it was it was a person who'd um who you know who'd actually had a very very positive experience over over a long period of time within this organization and uh, uh you know over the last two two years uh she she ended up moving several me uh, teams rather and then has has is now reporting into a particular um manager who who tends to be 
reflecting behaviors or demonstrating behaviors that are different to what she was used to. So the culture of the, the of, of the organization felt far more welcoming, inclusive. Um, there was less experience of control and um, there, and there was less need for individual seeking recognition and credibility and status actually was a word she used. Whereas with the onset of this one particular individual, it's shifted quite a lot of those those particular characteristics in in and and it's it's contaminated some of the culture but it's also in this particular case we were talking about the impact it's had on her and and this particular individual has had has experienced some you know it was coincidental that we're talking about this right now but had experienced some abuse in her previous life or in, in a previous relationship not at work actually in in her own life and it was just really interesting to to work to be her companion as she worked through the the connection between how she was responding in her current environment as a result of some of the experiences the undesirable experiences she had before uh which you know were very emotional were very very painful actually um now the important part of the work was to help her try to ex understand it and disconnect it and to help resource her around how to manage this particular context and perhaps anticipate and not allow what the, this individual might be doing or what the shifts in the behaviors of the team that were emerging from this change to re-trigger her. And up until this conversation, she's felt exactly as you described. She, she used the word, I, I, I feel, dazed at times schizophrenic because one moment I know what I'm doing and I know where I stand and the next moment I'm discombobulated and don't know I have nothing within my control and where I've had a what has felt like a fairly effective um and you know uh yeah effective professional progression I'm now really lost and feeling really disempowered and I think that's an example of some of these undesirable effects that I certainly witness and experience in a lot of the clients I'm working with. Yeah, I see that a lot and I hear that a lot. And it's, you can take somebody and I, there's countless stories I could share. You know, I think of one, you know, a really, really successful uh, executive or, or senior leader in the auto industry. Uh, that I know. And this person was crushing it and doing really well. And they got a new supervisor and it, it wrecked them. And, you know, where they had no confidence to do their work at all. And the only thing that's changed was just, you know, a, a manager that had a different style and communication and, and, and whatnot. And I, I see it time and time again with, especially if there's a change in leadership, the mm. leaders, you know, and you know this, you know, that's why there's, you know, wonderful people like you in the world to help leaders learn how to lead because uh, they don't teach it anywhere. Um, usually when you get promoted in organizations, there isn't a, an additional onboarding per se. Okay, well, now you're going to be a manager. We're going to send you to manager school now so you know how to be a manager. Now, they just congratulations here's your new title and name badge and you know go manage and they're like well how what you know it's it's a different skill set then from manager to 
you know, leadership roles, same thing, uh, leading and managing two different departments, people. A lot of people think not the same. Like, no, different, different skills. I mean, obviously, there's some skills you bring along the way, but two different viewpoints and visions and, and whatnot. So it, it catches a lot of people. So in many cases, and I, I'm, I, I have no idea about the situation with your client, but what I've seen a lot is that manager or new division lead is probably struggling um, personally with this role and people react differently uh, when they are under stress or they're afraid of something. Some of them display bullying type tactics or control. I'm the boss here. You know, the, those kind of things. Some get really reserved and are afraid to make any decisions and don't respond back to inquiries, even though they know the answer, they just get frozen and they can't. So it's a, it's a, always an interesting dynamic on how those things go, but healthy organizations catch it early and say, okay, let's, let's figure this out. Not that the leader is going to be different per se, but at least more aware of how their leadership style is impacting the team. And come up with some commonalities that can learn, okay, this this boss has this communication style. It's one of the things that I did whenever I'd go work for a new organization. It's like first day, that was one of the first questions, even you know, beyond the interview process, was asking, okay, reporting. Mm-hmm. What kind of reporting do you want from me? How frequently? What format do you want it in spreadsheet format, email format, written report? text message, WhatsApp. Do you want me to record a TikTok video for you? I'm being cheeky there, but you know, just, you know, what what makes sense for them? So that way I'm communicating to them in a way that works for them. And then sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes they say, well, how do you want me to communicate with you? And I would say, usually in currency units, and they'd laugh. And then I would say, okay, you know, whatever makes sense for you. So we just, so we don't have any pitfalls or things fall through the cracks. I'd much rather be prepared, know what I need to work on, schedule touch base meetings, and away you go. Uh, but a lot of organizations don't even do that. And that is a simple thing to implement. Obviously, the deeper dive, of course, and you know this, is when you're working with an individual or a team, there's a lot to unpack sometimes because it's not just a thing. There's just a lot of things to, to dig up to figure out, okay, what's causing this team to collapse or have high turnover? Or why is performance down 25% this quarter? You know, there's a lot of things to dig into. Oh, hugely. And I think what I hear you describe is just basic contracting skills. You know, how do you contract with um, a, a new colleague, uh, a new manager, uh, you know, a new boss? And and equally, there are multiple layers to that contracting process. And I think one of the personal reflections I have is I, if I go back about 13, 14 years, I was a client director in a, in a consultancy startup. Uh, and it was a really enlightening moment in time. It was probably one of my least favorite moments, darkest periods, you know, when you, and it was a great place to work, generally speaking, but there were some micro moments and micro aspects to the relationships with various people within that particular constellation I was working in. And I learned very well, not, I was going to say very quickly, but actually I learned in a quite painful way. And I probably reflected on this about six years later and realized and saw the connection 
that I had this particular need to need to be recognized and to receive external validation from others. And as a senior leader myself, I was on the leadership team, I noticed that I would go above and beyond the call of duty of, of what, what, what I was expected to do. And um, I see this a lot with a lot of the work uh, that I do with clients as well, is some of those expectations are totally felt but not seen. And it's not until we actually take the time to spend, look in the mirror, <laughs> to spend some time getting to know exactly what is at the root of that need for recognition and validation. Where does it come from? And to paint a story and and and, and whether the story is 100% accurate or fully representative, it doesn't really matter. What's most important is connecting the dots and understanding how that story has influenced some of the tendencies that we have. During that contracting process, it would mean being more assertive, being more bold, being more clear about my needs. But without some of that understanding of what drives some of that need for recognition and validation, which is external, I would be reinforcing that. You know, 13, 14 years later, I now understand it. And I'm very clear on my boundaries. But as you said, I think it is and I feel I'm in a profession where I'm have access to all this stuff. It's 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 you know I'm surrounded by amazing mentors and I and I reach out to the to experts in management development training training and leadership development training myself because I've got to. But what percentage of managers and leaders have access to that kind of insight and work? Yeah, very small percentage. And yeah, one of the things that you had mentioned that you know, I want to highlight is you're going above and beyond. Um, intrinsically speaking, there's actually, that's a good thing to do. Uh, but you mentioned something, it's like it was felt but not seen. And that's where you have to be bold and say, look what I'm doing, look what I'm doing, look what I'm doing. Not from a, you know, boastful per se, but maybe depending on your personality and your style, if you're not normally boastful, maybe be a little boastful. You got to, you know, you know, basically pat yourself on the back and make sure that people are aware of it. Uh, because when you give more value to an organization, the right healthy ones will recognize that. If not, somebody will. And it may mean that you, you know, move along and you take a promotion with another organization or Potentially, you could stay with that one uh, if it's an organization that values growth within and, and retention and whatnot. But it, it's a situation where and you you said the key word boundaries. You you have to do it, but within your own strength and your own well being. Don't burn yourself out trying to impress somebody because well, then if you're burned out, you're not producing well, and then you're going to have a domino effect, and they may say, you know what, they're not just just not delivering like they used to. It's like, uh, you know, instead of asking you what's going on, let's say, you know, maybe we need to forego that promotion that we were thinking about giving them and give it to this other person. Um, and then all of a sudden that employee is like, wait a minute, I, I, I've been looking at that promotion for four years. You know, I thought it was a shoe in and it, it just creates this again, really horrible situation for somebody that could have been really good, but because of nuances, communication, and other things that are in organizations that we see day after day after day, um, it just it poisons the water and it really makes it really problematic for these organizations and individuals to thrive. 
Yeah, and I think you know one of the things that really stood out for me when you said, um, ju- you know, just just in relation to to my example, is that that potential for burnout and or that potential for you know going beyond boundaries or unset boundaries, let's put it. And I think one of the, my biggest learnings, particularly in the last four or five years, uh, mainly because my son, who's now 15, actually 16, he turned 16 last week and I've forgotten um, already. Don't tell him that. Um, you know, he, he yeah, nearly seven years ago, he was diagnosed with a brain tumour and um, went through, through a paediatric cancer um, uh, journey. And so did we as a family. It wasn't until we were in that journey and on the other side of it that I've truly understood what boundaries are, if I'm honest. It's that it's that life experience that does give give us perspective and certainly it has done for me. And and one of the things I want to add to that is that, you know, as a perimenopausal woman, <laughs> you know, heading to my 50s, I'm nearly there. Um I'm noticing, you know, the autoimmune disease that's manifesting as a result of the stress. I'm noticing the joint pains that I'm experiencing either from the perimenopausal syndromes, symptoms or the autoimmune disease. Um, and I'm also noticing just the, the, the fatigue. Um, and, and it's, it's been because of that physiological journey that we did as a family and that I've done as a mother. Um, And I guess the privilege to reflect on what's okay and what isn't okay, Um, but also not to blame the system around me and to take responsibility for what are the things I should be taking some control over or certainly making informed choices about rather than allowing some of these tendencies and patterns from the past to dominate and to allow me to sleepwalk through life. It's because of those realizations that I've learned to set those boundaries and manage them really mindfully, really consciously to come back to that word. That's important work that you have done and are doing. And I commend you for, you know, discovering those boundaries. And I love that, you know, the privilege of knowing what's okay for you and what's not. That is such important words for everyone to follow. Because when you do, then when you do say yes to things, then they're getting the best version of you, not the wiped out, tired, fatigued, you know, lack of sleep and energy, although we might still have it, but we're, we're still engaged in it. Uh, but um, having those boundaries are so critically important. So I could talk with you for about six days for sure, straight uh, about all these things, but where can people find out more about you and all this amazing work you're doing? Thank you. And thank you for having me, Michael. It's been a really interesting conversation. So there's a website, I think it's probably the, the first port of call, or you can follow um, us on um, on LinkedIn and Instagram. But the website is leaderawakened.co.uk. Um, it's also under my, um, my, or like my company, um, brand, which is termrightgroup.co.uk. And, um, on, uh, LinkedIn, there's an at leader awakened, which is the name of my book, by the way. Um, it's, a it's a, a, a pretty, uh, practical, but deep, coaching companion for anyone who wants to do this kind of work. Um, if you've been inspired by some of the examples that we discussed today, um, and at leader awakened is also on Instagram and you can, 
read more and see more uh, of the concepts and the topics in both those channels. Awesome. And I'll definitely have that information in the show notes. So thank you again for your time today. Really appreciating our conversation. I learned a lot. I've already took a bunch of notes, which I don't do often on a show, but uh, there's a notepad full of notes here. So I really appreciate you and all the all the gold that you gave us today. So thanks again for being on the show. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.